Wednesday night, and we've actually got a special episode of Graphic Policy Radio. Normally airing on Mondays, we've had to switch it around this week due to various reasons. Uh, we should be having a guest join us tonight. We're just waiting for her to call in. Uh, we'll kind of describe it after I uh, introduce my co-host. Alana, how you doing? Great. So Monday was the big May Day action, which is why I, I at least wasn't able to do the podcast then. We had folks coming all over the country, workers on strike. Um, but today I've spent the evening making posters um, because Donald Trump is coming to New York City on Star Wars Day. Now, of all of the days for Donald Trump to come to New York City, Star Wars Day is a particularly interesting choice for us because – he represents the empire in New York, of course, is one of the home bases of the resistance. Um, Star Wars Day is May the 4th because it sounds like May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. I, I'm not making this up. This is on the Internet. Yep. You can look it up. Um, so I've been really trying to use some uh, Star Wars storytelling and themes in our own activism um, around it. I just made a couple signs that said resistance is built on hope. If you guys will recall the quote from Princess Leia. Uh, I did a little Leia head and a Rebel Forces logo for the O, uh, for the various O's in it. Um, Hello. Hey, Kristen. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, 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 absolutely. We'll we'll, we'll, uh, introduce you in a second. I would just say that folks who are in New York come out to DeWitt Clinton Park tomorrow between 2 and 5 p.m. There will be a wonderful festival of resistance against Donald Trump. And I am bringing some inflatable lightsabers. Like there'll be lots of Star Wars things happening because the rebellion is going to stand against the evil empire once more. So I hope to see you guys there. Pretty and awesome. I yep. other folks to use Star Wars. You should just people should just use Star Wars and their activism more broadly. You know, we had a particular podcast episode about this back in the winter. Folks can go check it out with me and some folks from the U.S. Rebel Alliance talking about Star Wars as a tool of resistance. So uh, check it out. Yes, um, you know, it, it should be. It's a great mix of geekdom and, and activism. So should be a lot of fun to, to see what you post up online on Twitter. Um, so we've got a guest tonight. It's, uh, she's the creator of a really fun series called Hench Girl that uh, has recently been released as a trade by Dark Horse. Uh, so Mary Posa hates her job and she works long hours for little pay, no insurance, and worst of all, no respect. So yeah, it sounds like a lot of us. Uh, her coworkers are jerks, <laughs> her boss doesn't appreciate her. Also sounds like a lot of us. Uh, he's also a supervillain, not a lot of our bosses. Uh, and her parents, well, they're mostly <laughs> famous superheroes. Um, it's Hench Girl. It's a really cute, fun series that you know I've, I've been a fan of for, for quite some time. Alana's been a fan. And we have the creator, uh, Kristen Gutsnick. Uh, Hopefully I pronounced that last name right. Sorry if I butchered it. Um, and she's joining us tonight to, d- to discuss it. Um, she's the creator of Hench Girl, which is, as I said, recently published by Dark Horse. Uh, she's also the illustrator for children's series VIP, which you should go check out. So welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's Gubsmuck. You got it right. <laughs> Sweet. I, I have a really, really bad habit of butchering people's last names, so I'm usually very nervous about doing so. So uh, <laughs> that's my thing. Let's go with that. <laughs> okay, um, cool. 
So the thing that I always like to, to start off with asking people um, about their, you know, their creating is like, how did you actually get into creating comics and, you know, go from just like maybe a fan and a, an illustrator to actually creating them? Um, well, actually, I, you know, ever since I was little, I was always writing stories and doodling pictures that correspond with them. And so I would, I would just draw comics all the time as like a kid and as a teenager, like to entertain my friends at school. Like a lot of times it would be just jokes about our schoolwork and our teachers, but then sometimes I would make little narratives and stuff. So I'd always been kind of, I don't know, I'd always read comics, but I'd always also been doodling them all the time. So for me, it was just a question of taking it a little more seriously, you know? Um, And like, so I, I, you know, I had done a couple of web comics when I was younger. And then when I started doing Hench Girl, I realized that the story was kind of big and that it was something I was really enthusiastic about. So that's how it kind of like turned into like a whole big thing instead of just like a fun doodle comic. Where did the, the actual concept of Hench Girl come from? Like what was the, the genesis of the the world and the characters? Because it's, I mean, it's a great spoof somewhat of, of other superhero comics. Yeah, well, I had been watching a lot of um, the Bruce Timm universe, uh, like, cartoons, like, Batman animated series, and, like, Justice League, and uh, Superman and all that, and I was really enjoying it, and at the same time, I was noticing, you know, it was really bringing, like, superhero tropes, like, to the forefront in my brain, and I was just thinking about where I would be if I were in a superhero world. And I decided that I would be like the random background person who's like holding the bag of money because I don't know. I just, Hmm. I thought it'd be interesting to see like a superhero story from like a really unexceptional person's perspective, but also I didn't like my old job. And so it was a fun (laughs) way to, to metaphorically vent about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because what I think that's the main that thing is that it's like mm-hmm. what? Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the main thing for me is that it was more about uh professional angst being like, you know, metaphorically turned into a fun story. <laughs> One of the things that I always observe and tell folks is you know, no matter where you work, no matter what you do it's pretty safe to say that management sucks and you know, the story that you're telling is so relatable to folks and um, you know, it's a humor comic, but it was, it's very emotionally real underneath it all. Oh, cool. Thank you. I was, Um, I I don't want to give away the ending of the first volume, um, but I was incredibly emotionally touched at the end of it. And um you know, it's a, and it's and, and it's but it's also it's also a comedy. I, Brett has been an early was an early fan of the of the, of the comic and tried to get me into it, and I I finally picked it up from you actually at New York Comic Con, and um, so Yay. now there's this new edition that's out by Dark Horse, um, and uh, has the comic sort of changed as you've written it in terms of the complexity and the themes or the uh, 
any of the way the art has been approached? Because you're a one-person shop on this, really. <laughs> yeah, well, being a one-person shop means that, like, yeah, of course, it, the the writing and the art, everything really changed and evolved over the course of doing it because, like I said, I was just drawing it, like, kind of for fun at first. So I really took my time making Henshiro. It I did it over the course of a couple of years. And the interesting thing about that is that it's kind of like a condensation of all my various ideas over the course of like three years. So it's like packed to the gills with a lot of different things and themes and just like weird jokes and stuff. So I think that that's like the method in which I made it is really evident when you like sit back and look at it. But yeah, no, in the beginning, I think just as I, as I grew as a person alongside Mary, just the, the kind of questions that were intriguing me uh, also shifted. And also because you don't want to just keep hammering home the same points over and over again. How many years have you been working on Hench Girl? Uh, it, I, it didn't, I did it in about three years. Mm-hmm. So I started in 2013 and I finished it last year. How did the series so evolve over all, all those years? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long time to work on any comic. Um, but, like, what were some of the things that changed over time? Well, later on in the comic, she's not. it's not as much about being a hench girl, and it's more just about her trying to find her place in the world beyond that, too. So in that way, I think it changes. But also, like, originally the art was, like, uh, like it was crappy black and white art that like it was very I actually I redrew the first like 80 pages or so because at New York Comic Con once I think it was two years ago uh, this guy I know looked at my book and was like wow is this the first thing you ever drew in your life oh my <laughs> and god I was like, oh god no 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 was, I appreciate that kind of harshness because first of all he said it in a comedic way and we all laughed but also because when people are being honest with you it's how you like actually improve and I'm glad I redrew the first bunch of pages because I think it was I think it's more uh welcoming now that like I kind of because I'm self-taught as an artist so I learned by doing (laughs) but you could see too much learning happening in the in the beginning part that I ended up redrawing. Is, is for like, what was, when was that released? Cause it's interesting. Like I've, I picked up the first issue when it was out with scout. So I'm wondering if that was post things changed or pre things changed. And I haven't really thought about going back and looking at those issues compared to what was released with, with oh, Dark no. Horse. Anything you got from scout is the, is the redrawn stuff. I okay. just mean before scout, I also self published oh, okay. for a while. Yeah, so in, when I was doing that, like, there are these really old, like, I printed them at Kablam. I have these old Kablam comics of my issue one. It's completely different. It's kind of funny to, to see and compare. But no one huh. will see those anymore because it's not in any of the official versions. I'm amazed that you're self-taught. Um, were there particular, like, pieces of comic art that you really spent time dissecting and learning from because your storytelling 
is really, really, really easy to follow. Oh, thank you. Well, I took a comics. Oh, I forgot to say this. This is really weird and funny. So I did a drink and draw once very, very Mm -hmm. long time ago. And I won this award and the award was to do a comics class. And I was like, oh, I should make a comic. And that's part of why I made Hench Girl so that I could use this this voucher. Wow. <laughs> well, I, that's, that's part of so what motivated cool. me is I was like, I got to make a comic because I've got to do this comics class. But I thought it was going to be like a, a five-page gag thing. And then it just kept expanding onwards from there because I was just going to make fun of like superhero names and then be done with it. And then I was like, no, there's characters here. But, yeah, so I took yeah. the comics class, and the, the teacher there, it's at the Art Students League of New York. It's actually pretty pretty mm-hmm. cheap for, for a, you know, an art class. Um, and he taught us a bunch of stuff. And one of the things was just, yeah, try to make things look cool. But if it looking cool is, like, interfering with how easy it is to read, then tone it down. So I took that to heart, that lesson in particular, mm. but also uh, the artist who did She-Hulk, I forget what his name is, but he John did the Byrne? art for this. Like, no, no, it's the newish one. He's like the Spanish oh. artist. Oh, Anyways, um, he's got yeah. really cool art style. Javier yeah. Pulido. Javier Pulido. Pulido, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really looked a lot at his art, actually, because I liked how simple it was, and yet really sophisticated in terms of visual storytelling. I always enjoy seeing like different ways you portray the character visually in different situations. Like you you'll do like a panel that's like way more anime when like people are making eyes at each other. Um, <laughs> and you, get to, you have like more noir movie poster style covers at times. Like you definitely play with style within the art as well. Yeah, well, part of that's just, I mean, you don't have to stick to a certain style. And if you can get more of, like, what you're trying to express from switching styles, I think sometimes it looks really cool. Like, in, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I tend to just try to just do whatever I, I want to do in terms of, like, how I want the character to look on that part. Except you have to make sure that, like, people can tell who the character is. So in some ways you have to stick to some level of consistency, but mm-hmm. I struggle with that sometimes, but whatever. No, it's always very clear who all the characters are. I mean, in terms of personality and their look and stuff like that, you, you know, you don't draw everybody in the same outfit every time either. Like you have normal people who change their clothes, but it's very clear who everyone is. Um, I, I also was particularly struck by, you know, there's so many good jokes and I just don't want to, give them away but I think humor is a hard thing to do um, and it seems like it comes really naturally to your story oh thanks like how do you how do Actually, you test it like how do you know that something's funny like before you draw it I mean can you even know oh, I have no idea I, <laughs> I mean for me it's just it's, it's very like reflexive to make a joke because part of it is like, I don't know, part of it might be like an ironic thing where you're like, it's not too serious. Here's a joke. Don't worry. Like when I make things more dramatic, I usually undercut it with some sort of joke. 
I don't know why. I just this is how I do things. Uh, but I, I, it's just like it's part of. I think it's part of my writing DNA. I can't take things too seriously because I always see the absurdity in life. Mm. Well, I'm glad that the story didn't begin and end with like making jokes about superhero names because that's that's like so done. And your story has so many other things happening with the jokes too. It, it's hard for me. Like, I God, it's hard not to spoil things. But just the the, the 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 moment where she's mis- mistaken with for someone else. I think anybody who's read the comic oh. will know what I mean. I <laughs> lost it. I lost it. That was amazing. <laughs> and the oh, where, her, where where her roommate's power becomes evident. I mean. <laughs> I just dropped the comic and tried to explain everything to my husband right then. I was like, but the, but, ah. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, I mean, both of those jokes, like, both of those jokes, like, the humor comes from uh, the way you expect the world to be, like, versus reality, like, the expectations, reality, kind of, that meme. In a way, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's mm-hmm. where a lot of my humor comes from is just pointing out how much worse reality is than what we're hoping or expecting it to be. But like comedic, comedic effect, I don't know. When you go to you, create like, the, with, the, I was gonna say, with the, when you create the series, do you work it with the script and then do the art, or are you kind of just on the fly? Oh, I definitely write the script and then edit it like a thousand times beforehand. Because my main thing is I don't, I don't like doing things twice. I don't, I'm not like, I just like getting stuff done fast. So my worst nightmare is to have to redraw a part because I changed the writing. So I try to get all the editing done beforehand. And I'll still change the art constantly, but usually it's just because I'm like, oh, her arm is too long. Not like a writing change. But, yeah, no, I always, I can't, you can't control what's happening if you're writing it as it goes, you know? At least I can't. Hmm. Do you have a way, like, do you, do you have a way of, like, testing stuff with folks to see if it's funny before you actually do the art for it, though? <laughs> no. Like, I mean, like, you, you no, don't have an I editor. No, I just kind of roll with it. Well, not, I didn't have, wow. well, I mean, I have an editor now at Dark Horse, but when I brought her, Hench Girl was all done. So, no, I mean, oh, I, if it entertained me, I assumed it was funny enough. And I think my my method is to put as many jokes as possible in so that at least <laughs> some of them will land. Like in terms of like just like sign gags and all sorts of stuff. But no, but it was all yeah. What? Oh, let's go ahead. Well, I found myself oh, I got very emotionally invested um, in the character very quickly, and I think one of the I don't think this is a spoiler, so I'll just say it. I think one of the things that made that make that makes the story like really relatable, but 
and, and, and yet specific enough to be interesting is when she's coming off of in the first issue, when she's coming off of work from the uh, initial heist and she gets, you know, she finally is home and um, somewhat delirious. And she's like, I, she's like, why do they make me wear a girdle? None of the other henchwomen have to wear a girdle. And like that moment of being like, not only, you know, is she being brutalized by work, but she's like being, like she's being subject to like really sexist um, working conditions, you know, yeah. like, making it even harder for her, like that added burden for her to be a woman in that situation. Um, yeah. It's a good choice. Part of that is like a, is like a meta joke about superhero and villain costuming being like overly sexualized and ridiculous. But another thing is just, I guess, uh, I mean, I drew her as a more like full figured character. She's like, I, I don't know. I mean, she's a fictional character, so you don't know if she's plus size, but I guess we'll say she is. Um, but so another thing was just like, how, how does like a, a person who's not like skinny, <laughs> like exist in, in like our world is one that like really glorifies like dieting and being thin. So I just kind of wanted to point out that hypocrisy and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, Absolutely. I think that's. But it definitely feels like you know, like a lot of women, like you know, you have to wear heels to work. Why do you have to wear heels to work? Because some guy said so. You have to dress and present yourself yeah, a certain I hate way. That. It, it makes it even harder for you to do your job. Like it's even harder to be yeah, a if you, if you girl wearing a girdle. <laughs> you notice I never, I hate heels so much that none of my characters ever wear heels. They'll wear like it'll have like an inch heel and it'll be like flat. But I, I also, I don't know. I just think that they're like evil. <laughs> Although I guess mm-hmm. a lot of people wear heels, so I probably should learn how to draw them. <laughs> did you have the whole I cast know. in mind when you began writing the story, or did like characters, like like, did you know that her parents were going to be revealed to be who they are uh, from the beginning, or did that kind of develop over time? Um, I thought of that after. I didn't have that in issue one, but I think I thought of it in issue three. Cause there's a mm. part where she's like, um, there's an alien invasion is happening in the city and all everyone else's parents are calling them to make sure they're all right. And she's like, my parents haven't called me to see if I'm okay. And she's like, she pretends to get a phone call from her parents so that her roommates won't think that like, her parents don't That's love her, and then I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Oh, why didn't they call her?" And I was, I figured that it would make sense, both thematically and also just be interesting for her to have superhero parents. And so then I really set up the whole next issue all about that. That's fabulous. I mean, I that scene with her calling herself just—it's both so funny and painful. Like it's so funny and painful. I think it's true for a lot of things. I'm also like, my, really, really over I mean, I'm also like really invested in like the romantic outcome of her relationship with Mannequin as well as her two roommates relationship with each other. And like, I mean, 
I need to know, like, are, are we going to, are we going to get to see more of this story in a, in a, in a future edition? Um, there's no plans for a continuing volume yet. Um, no. I just, part of, well, I wanted to take Why? a break from it, <laughs> but I did leave it in such a way that I could easily pick it back up if I wanted to. And if I like had a script ready and everything, cause I do, I think that I wanted to end it in such a way that I left it still, the characters were still interesting. I don't know. Just cause I, I always, okay. So like you read the end of Harry Potter it's not, there was like this little epilogue. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the I, end of Harry I, Potter. I, I, I actually do, and I've Harry never Potter. read Harry Potter. But I know what you're talking about, even though I've never read Harry yeah. Potter, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not spoiling anything. It's just, there's a part where they're like, they're old, and they're just boring, and that's how it ends, for mm-hmm. in a way. And I just, I just like the idea of ending things with, Without like the, I like having the, whatever it was that was fun and interesting about the story, I like the promise of that continuing for the characters. So that's kind of why I framed it the way I did. But also so I can <laughs> come back in if I wanted. Yeah, I mean, I was there. You know, you have a reveal in that in that end piece about a character who, I think we thought was a certain way and maybe it was another and a different character who maybe we thought was good and is seeming Wait, to have what? Be troubled. Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot of, yeah. um, of, of intrigue, but I also just like, I really need to know how people's relationships came together. I like, I, I got misty eyed on something. I, I like, it's hard because I, I, I don't want to give away things. I know that a lot of the series might never have the comic yet, but like, it was really moving, um, the relationship with the characters. Was are you talking about Sue and Tina? Or Mary I and Fred? I care about that. I mean, yeah, both both of them. I really do care about both of those relationships. Yeah. Well <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do you need your fans to like ask you to produce a second volume? Is that well, a lot of people have asked already. I just, I just would need to sit down and write it and like figure it all out. And right now, I'm like knees deep in my next book. <laughs> so right now, like that's all I'm like writing and thinking about. Ooh, currently. tell us about your next book. It's really exciting. Um, I, I don't think that we haven't released the title yet, but it's coming out from graphics. Scholastic, uh, their their graphic novel imprint. Yeah, it's really uh-huh. neat. Uh, I am in the middle of inking page ninety five, so uh, <laughs> sometime next year I have this. It's kind of like I've been saying it's like Sailor Moon meets Freaks and Geeks, and it's like for middle grade kids. So it's gonna I be fun. Was... And I wrote it and I'm drawing it. That's well, that cool. With, with... With Scholastic, we can assume that it's for kids, the primary audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but also I hope that my readers of Henchgirl will check it out because it's like the same, it's like same level of writing or whatever. I just didn't have anything inappropriate happen, but it's, I don't know. 
Uh, I I have to ask, what with carrots? Like, where did that come from? See, and out of carrots. everything, why carrots? Um, <laughs> interesting question. Yeah. Well, so I had a nightmare once. Uh, that there are these, like, worms in my skin, and, like, one was coming out of my wrist, like, from before, and it looked really gross. And I just, like, lodged that strange image away. And then when I was trying to come up with a power for, for Tina to have, I thought of that, but then I was like, that's too disgusting. Let's make this in some way where it could have a positive use, you know? Like, hey, she can make food infinite amounts of food and you know uh so i was trying to make this that horrible weird dream i had more palatable (laughs) uh but it was also just kind of random because i like the idea of someone getting superpowers that are like crappy and you don't really know what to do with them because in a way that's kind of like life in a way where you're just like, I don't know what to do with these weird things that I'm good at. Like, oh, I can, like, draw a picture. How is that going to help me? So. (laughs) Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that moment, though, I just, like, literally cracked up so, so hard. (laughs) And you did something with it. I was hoping it would be, like, platform. It's a real plot point, you know? Yeah, I like just, like, creeping people out and having this, like, weird body horror humor. (laughs) It's just something I find very entertaining myself. I really love that you're writing a a kid's graphic novel now, I think, and the way you described it. It sounds like something a lot of kids will benefit from and enjoy. Yeah, I I had, like, a PDF of it on my phone of, like, the first part or whatever, because sometimes when I'm bored, I'll just read through it and double-check for mistakes. Um, and my cousin, I let my little cousin look at it, and she's, like, 20 now. And she was like, I wish I had this when I was in middle school. So hopefully yeah. other kids will feel likewise. <laughs> yeah, that's that, really... That series, like, when's mm-hmm. that series supposed to come out? going to be a graphic novel, but it's sometime next year. I don't know the date. Sometime in 2018, I think summer. I'm not sure. I'd have to check my email. And then also (laughs) it's all contingent upon me finishing it. (laughs) If if for like writing, because I mean, Hench Girl is more for an uh, older audience. Um, definitely is not something I would give to like, you know, young kids. Um, I just don't think they would probably get a lot of the jokes, but, um, not that there's anything like horrible in it or anything like that, but writing for, for younger audience, you know, is, is it different as a writer and creating comics with that? Like, and then the, to the second part of that is there's a lot of kind of, you know, shift in like maybe the last decade or two of doing things for younger kids and then having, what feel like very inappropriate jokes that young kids are definitely not going to get, but adults would get. So, I mean, is that something you you're thinking about doing as well? Or is this like strictly for kids and then adults could enjoy it as well? Um, (laughs) well, I, so first of all, I did think about it when I was 
starting writing it, I was trying to figure out the level of appropriateness and stuff. But I then I decided that uh, I shouldn't worry about that, you know, because if you're censoring yourself in when you're ca- coming up with ideas, then you're not like, I don't know, it's like you're not fully open as a writer or artist. So I just kind of try not to think about like appropriateness, but the, I just let the story happen naturally. There's some parts where the humor is kind of intense, and there's some parts that I don't know. I I figured because it was for middle schoolers that they could handle stuff. So I and I don't have I don't know I don't have any horribly inappropriate jokes, but I think just by merit of it being about a kid makes it like thematically in a way relevant to you know, the kids who are reading it versus Hench Girl being about someone in her 20s. It's like when kids, I assume when kids, little kids read that, they're like, this is grown-up stuff. I'm not interested in this. Hmm. Where's, like, the skateboard? <laughs> the uh, experience of being someone who's 20 and, like, really struggling for work and dealing with being exploited basically in all the aspects of your life is such a universal thing for young folks now that I almost would want, I'd want like a teenager. I would like deliberately be like, teenager, read this so you'll know the way of the future and prepare yourself to combat it. Well, there's a, part, mean, there's a part where she's like, where she's like, don't go to the expensive school. Be careful because there's like student debt. So that was my, that's my little <laughs> shout out to people who are about to become you know, twenty something wage slaves. Yeah, I mean, the idea that the media perpetuates, especially the pundit class, of like what constitutes like working class people, is completely untrue. I mean, working class America is people with shitty office jobs, which is like that's jobs where they make you wear a suit to work but don't pay you what a person who's forced to wear a suit to work should be paid, right? And yeah, I think that you're sort of channeling that and don't get any of the respect for independence. You know, they say like, oh, you're a manager, so that's why you don't get overtime, but you're not really a manager. You're actually just breaking labor law. Um, <laughs> and I felt like... So they get you. Yeah, exactly. They've written an avatar of a character who's who, who really represents those things. I, I really do want to just sort of show up and help her organize the workforce. Like that's, that's, you know, they obviously <laughs> Monster Butterfly is entirely irrelevant. Like, you know, the, the, the various henchmen should just seize the means of production because he's completely useless and run it as a villainy cooperative. I mean, that's, that's really the dream. Got a year, now that there's Obamacare, she can exactly. Now that now that she now there's Obamacare, she doesn't. She could continue to be an independent. She can continue to you know work for a small business, and she would be able to have health care. So that's, that's true. But is there Obamacare in Crepe City? <laughs> I guess there would be. <laughs> it's America, right? Like it didn't feel like Canada. I mean, if it was Canada, none of these problems would be. It's like that old joke. God, who did the comic strip where it was like if. Breaking Bad was in Canada, and it was um, he gets health care, so that's the end of that. There's no drama. <laughs> um, I, oh I my god, like that's Matt hilarious! Ford. I never saw it. 
I think it might be Matt Boris who did it, but I just give him credit for lots of things. Um, actually, that's oh, no, a question. It's like, definitely America. But yeah. yeah. Um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah. So, what? Who are some of the other cartoonists whose work has influenced yours at this point? Um. Well, the biggest. Okay, there's a couple, and this is great because I'm home, so I can look at myself. <laughs> Um, but my, the biggest, the biggest influence on me, I think in terms of my sense of humor is probably, uh, Rumiko Takahashi. I just like, I really loved her stuff when I was little and I still do, but like, it was big for me back then. And I always liked how hilarious everyone's expressions were. And I think that's, I mean, a lot of my comedy stems from people making funny faces. So I think I kind of got that from her. And there's also, like, Sailor Moon was a big one when I was younger, too. But, like, continuing on to this day because I'm rewatching it right now. Uh, and um, I really love Brian Lee O'Malley. And that's pretty obvious when you look at my stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone says Scott Pilgrim which I am flattered by because I love his art. Uh, I love Kate Beaton. I think her stuff is really funny and interesting too. And it's cool because it looks kind of sloppy, but when you look at it like as an artist, there's like really, really like she's very talented at like drawing and expressing things. Um, a lot of different people. Um, I love Jake Wyatt. Do you know I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got like he did some random Marvel issues and stuff. He just has a really cute style that's like a mix of kind of indie, sort of manga, like retro manga. Uh, I don't know. His stuff is really cool. I always look at his like Tumblr for inspiration. Hmm. Not to check it out. But you know, I I really feel like the the superhero spoof well I, I really did think it had been mined dry I, I was convinced of this which is why I didn't pick up Hench Girl sooner but Brett was like no 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 you should read it this is excellent <laughs> and you, you've managed to like tell jokes I haven't fucking read already and I read so much superhero media um, it's kind of amazing that's cool. I mean, I, I, <laughs> what, like, what was it that was that was different? What would you say? I think, I mean, that ultimately, like, the superhero environment in your comic is a setting in which these characters actually have this like very real and relatable interpersonal drama, and so it's more like you were writing in a heightened reality where. Things that are absurd are more explicitly clear um, because they're stated that way. Uh, but in the context everybody lives is more elevated and, and like and like vibrant because there's like superhero slash villain battles happening in the background. I mean, yeah, like I wouldn't read a comic that was just about Mister Good Guy. Like that's like like that's not interesting at all like definitely having the so the, the inversion of which characters 
eye view you get on the story uh, is very, was very fresh, but like the, but also just the human story that is a far more realistic story about young adults and what they face today than others, I think was very important to it working for me. Yeah. It was funny. A lot of, um, I mean, I had it as a webcomic at first. Uh, a lot of my readers and people who left comments would be like, I want to know more about Mr. Great Guy. Uh, what's he going to do? Oh, my gosh. What? He's a great character. Let's learn more about him. And I was like, no, guys, the joke is that we're, we, don't, we don't care about him. He's, he would be the main character, but he's like, he's like a tertiary character. And that's like the joke of his character. So, but I mean, I people are entitled to their their opinions and all that. But I thought that was funny because that was like the point was that he's not the main character for once. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that maybe and like that, a rich angsty guy isn't necessarily the most interesting character after all. <laughs> And he's so fucking irresponsible and just stuck in his own pain. Like, the very dramatic sequence that happens with him and Lana, and I won't say what it is, was, like, just sort of shocking in all the right ways. Like, I didn't think you could, like, shock me in that context, but that that shocked me. And, and, and yeah, I know. That's, like, the one, re- one of the few reasons why I have hesitation telling kids to read Hench Girl, because I'm like, oh... Except for like a couple parts, <laughs> but well, I I wanted to play with the. I mean, that's obviously a very very common trope in comics. I I guess I mean I don't think it's that much of a spoiler, like fridging a character, a character's girlfriend, to make them more interesting. So I wanted yeah. to do the opposite, where I, the actuality of fridging someone's like a significant other is like not a it's not it shouldn't be a like narrative tool so it was kind of I don't know that was my weird I was trying to make a statement about fridging girlfriends and also about like mm -hmm. the damsel stuff I mean you you know he's he's intolerable and boring like in, and that is, and that in itself is funny. Before she dies, and then after she dies, it's like an even more hyperbolic version of it, which I just think was so freaking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just like my my sense of humor is to to find. I I don't even know. <laughs> when you were creating the series. You know, were you purposely trying to like for that moment? Were you sitting there and being like, "Okay, I, I want to make a statement on this," or was it more like a natural of this has come up? Where what could I do different with it? Like, what was like taking tropes and and twisting them and having fun with it? Like, was that part of your bigger picture and, and concept of the whole series? Uh, well, actually, that particular issue. Well, this is a real testament to how long it took me to make Hench Girl, but I came up with the concept for that issue while being, like, extremely bored in the last, like, 20 minutes of uh, Man of Steel. And I was, like, there was one part where just, like, 
a clearly foam piece of building. Like someone just pulls a piece of building off of them in the, the part in the end where Metropolis is getting destroyed. And I was just like, oh, my God, seriously, like nobody is getting hurt during like these. Like there's no like repercussions for all this destruction, which a lot of people have said about that movie. But when I was watching it, I was just really bored. And so I was just trying to think of my own alien invasion story to pass the time. And that was kind of where that part came from in a weird way. So so the movie did have a positive thing, like result is what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) It made me think, but it made me think critically, but yeah, no. Something good came out of that. But also it was just like, it's just like Lois Lane's character was constantly in danger and she was constantly just being whisked away by Superman as well. I was just like, I don't like that. See, if I have a male character with a female character to safety, as happens in, like, the first three pages of Hench Girl, then a couple more pages in, she has to save him back so that it's uh-huh. feminist. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And her just being proud that she's, like, she's, like, I guess I'm, like, and that she, she's proud that she's strong, but she's, like, like human strong, you know, it's like not even superpower. She's a woman and she's strong. Like that's that, you know? Um, yeah. I thought that that was that. I think that's a particularly fun character note. Oh God. You know, you have this moment where you, uh, you, 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 and you have the, uh, the sister character introduced and you get this little close up of her gritting her teeth and that just these little small gestures that are just simultaneously funny and painful are, I think, like, to me, that's, like, what, that, and, that is one of the big trademarks, I think, for the story. Yeah. Oh, you know what's interesting, actually, about that, that <laughs> gritting the teeth part? I, I mean, like I said, I did Henshaw over such a long period of time that I was influenced by so many different things that I was reading and watching you know, as I was going through it, you know, I would read a new thing and I'd be like, that's a cool idea. And I just read Black Hole when I was working on that, the Charles Burns book. Mm-hmm. And so I think I was trying to do a Charles Burnsy thing with that picture of like the realistic zoom in on her like forced smile. So it's kind of interesting. That's totally with me trying my hand at Charles Burns style. Yeah, I haven't read that book, but it would definitely work as a stylistic touch to call attention to that moment. Or, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm just, like, I'm having a hard time, like, not knowing that there there might not be future. <laughs> and scroll. Well, I guess I... People it's should like the last part is supposed to be an epilogue. So think yeah. of it that way. That's like a where are they now? I see. I see. <laughs> but what were you saying? Have you seen anybody do cosplay as your characters? Yeah, I had I had one cosplayer so far, and she had a really intense cosplay. It was impressive. She cosplayed as mannequin, but like in wow. her street clothes. She made a timekeeper, so she took a pocket watch and like glued rhinestones on it in the way that there are rhinestones on it in my comic it like looks better than my own design and I was just like this is amazing and she made a Cthulhu burger cup 
Oh, wow. It was so cool. It was really awesome. I was amazed. What convention did you see that at? She actually came to a, a store signing I did. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was in Staten Island. As a creator, uh, like, what do you... You're a New Yorker. I forgot. As, as, as a creator, like, what do you think when you see something like that? Was that something you, like, ever imagined you'd experience? <laughs> well, it's funny because there's that and then there's, like, oh, I was going to say, like, Rule 34 stuff, which is, like, <laughs> someone did one of those. And I was like, I made it. Ew. But I made it. <laughs> no, I mean, Wait, I was always for... Doesn't that, doesn't that just gender flip? Oh, no, the I rule think that is, is just that if it no, exists, rule... there's porn of it on the internet. Yeah, right? oh. the rule 34 is, yeah. If it exists, there's porn of it. Okay, got it. Someone drew like a foot fetish picture. I know, I was like, that's nice. They're yeah. invested enough in this character. <laughs> but... No, no. Having a cosplayer was really cool, and it was it was very surreal. I have to ask which is more surreal, the the Rule Thirty Four or the cosplayer, because I don't know which I would be more like. Okay, that's cool that it's gotten that far. Well, the cosplayer was definitely better because there's no <laughs> reservations there. It was right. just a very awesome thing that made me feel famous. But I, I mean, I, I appreciate any form that fandom takes. I, I guess. <laughs> it's very, it's a very positive attitude to take and a good way to look at it. <laughs> I can't believe I've been uh, so, wrong about which rule was which all this time. I'm a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. There are so many is internet rule, rules. The rule that that there's a parallel universe where people are different genders, or am I confusing that with the <laughs> Avengers parallel universe where everyone has beards? I don't, I don't remember. That's the mirror universe. Oh, I don't know that universe. Universe. <laughs> <laughs> so, There is a rule forty. There's a is a rule forty three that you can find anything on the internet if you're willing to look for it long enough. Apparently, that's rule forty three. <laughs> Um, so how did you how did the series actually come to be print and and go from the through to the various publishers? Mm. You know, I started it out, uh, you know, like I said, webcomic and self publishing, and I would do um, comic conventions. Uh, and actually, my first year of doing comics, I um, I got oh, what happened was. I randomly found someone who had an extra spot in Artist Alley at New York Comic Con, and they were like, hey, who wants to share my table? And because I could never get in at that point because I was just like self-published webcomic person. And so I got in New York Comic Con that year, and it turned into a couple different job opportunities, including the VIP book. So I was able to quit my day job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, that was really well, it was funny because my I have a New Year's resolution 2014 sheet on my wall next to my desk. And one of the things on it is 
quit my job. And I did, my last day at my job was like December 31st of that year. So I really got it in under the, right under the wire. But um, so then I was, you know, freelancing. I'd met Scout and they were interested in picking up Hench Girl for single issues. So I, I signed up with them. And then I, I also met Dark Horse. And it just so happened that I was able to sign over my trade rights to them, uh, which was really cool because they just have really good, like, distribution set up and everything. And they have, you know, they're a big company, a lot of publicity, and they take really good care of you. So I, uh, <laughs> you know, did the single issues through Scout Comics and then the trade through Dark Horse. Interesting. I was wondering why how the the two split out because um, you don't see that too often in in comics. Every once yeah. in a while, but not too often. It was kind of. I mean, honestly, it was a bit of like contract finagling on my part, but it was one of those things where I was like, Dark Horse definitely um, like will be a better step for my career. And seeing as I don't have a day job, <laughs> I take the career part very very seriously because. Living in New York, I got that New York rent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird to say, but it actually feels really nice to hear someone who's like really taken their contract seriously and thought these things through, because mm-hmm. you don't hear that too often from folks. <laughs> yeah, well, That's I mean, true. I just, I try to make measured decisions, and like <laughs> I, I don't know, <laughs> I'm definitely not like a risk taker, so. Uh, yeah, I, I usually just try to go with whatever is the safest, safest bet. That's how I live my life. <laughs> but I would be a boring character personally to have a comic be about because it would be someone making very logical, safe decisions. With the, with I guess the you're series, able to get that it... out in the series. But she, she, but, but she, like, Mary is a very believable sort of a risk taker because her risks really come from a place of like desperation and trying to and taking yeah she's coming from a very relatable place yeah I think she's in a way she's kind she's like me but she's I almost feel like she might be like my id or something like Mm. the things you, you don't dare to do in your real life because you're like that's that might not work out. That's kind of where, as a writer, where you can, like, play with alternate paths, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I based a lot of her off of me, so I tried to make her, I don't know, a real person. Absolutely. With the series, did it did it complete as a webcomic before it hit print, or were you still doing it as a webcomic before, like, after it was the, like the first issue started printing. Oh yeah, it wasn't finished. In fact, the last two issues or so, I was actually like racing against the clock to finish the comic in time for the it, the the paperback release. Um, it was yeah. I I kind of. I mean, yeah. I think like I had like the last. I was just kind of working on later issues simultaneously as each issue is getting published. But 
I can't actually work at that fast, like 25 pages a month or whatever rate. So I guess I can, but I was doing a bunch of other stuff. So it's kind of catching up. So it was sort of simultaneous to the, at least the last issue. I, that one, the issue came out before the webcomic pages came out. And there are a ton of people who were really doing their, sorry, who aren't really doing like all of the above for them. This is a one-stop shop. I mean, that's most labor intensive way to work. Like, are you, are you looking to do any work with other partners moving forward or? Um, I have a pitch in the works with Rafer Roberts, who writes Archer and Armstrong and some other stuff Mm. for Valiant. He's really cool. And we have kind of this, it's like a modern fantasy comic. And so it's, it's kind of like uh, Broad City or something, except there's magic in the world. It's kind of like a D and D New York. So like, I don't know, like like a lot of beer that was like plus one uh, inebriation or something. And I just, you Mm -hmm. know, it's that kind of comic. And I think it's going to be, it would be like a heist caper. So that's something that's in the works as well. But uh, generally, I I think I'm just like a controlling person. I like doing it all myself because you can – a huge part of writing is drawing because you decide the tone of how the things are said and, like, it's like you decide the acting when you're drawing, and that's a big part of the writing. So – because it's almost like the it's like the writer comes up with the dialogue, but if it were a book, the artist would come up with like the descriptions and the the nuances. So I like doing all of that stuff. And also, I was an English major, and I am like an accredited copy editor. So I really like doing the lettering because I hate typos and grammatical mistakes very much. <laughs> So I think you had a couple the, jokes the, about that too, even. Oh yeah. Mhm. What, what, so what, what the, jokes were there about that? No. There was there was there were a number of people's grammar that got corrected. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's just me. <laughs> I know. I know now. So the the question I had with the about the web comics versus the print was like, did you find yourself shifting how you were telling the story at all because you were dealing with print at that time? Like, is there is there a difference between creating as a web comic versus a print series? Uh, well, I mean, there's a huge difference. Like the comic I'm working on now is just for print, so I'm pacing it totally differently because I always had this kind of philosophy with webcomics which is each page in a way it's an update so it kind of needs its own mini narrative Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like it needs to get something across that makes it worth waiting a week or whatever so I condensed a lot of stuff into there and also um, thing because my commenters would be like oh but what about this plot thing and what about that and they would speculate and actually, I found their commentary very interesting and, like, helpful for coming up with what should happen next because it was a good way to gauge what people were, like, really responding to and what they thought was interesting. But at the same time, it's kind of a trap because you don't want to just 
constantly be shifting what you're doing based on what like some random person like typed in like 30 seconds on the sly at work or whatever. But I didn't change the way I did the last issue or anything because I wanted everything to be consistent. So every every page of Hench Girls jam packed with information. <laughs> Oh my god, my dog is like sleeping next to me and she's barking. It's so cute. Aww. <laughs> is, she, is she sleep barking? Yeah, we can hear this. That's adorable. Oh, I like that. I woke her up. The pets in your story are really great. Like all the all the little pet companions that show up in their various. <laughs> One of them is forms. my dog Penny, the white dog with the brown spot on its head. That's my dog, mm-hmm. and I drew her everywhere. Because she's cute. And I put my sister's dog in there, too. And she's, like, really happy because she's like, now Maggie's famous. Aw, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I I think that the animals are often used in comics, like, to heighten the stakes on things. But you also really use yours for humor very well. And... um the uh, with the anime jokes it was pretty amazing too. Yeah, I guess they usually do put like a dog in there so that later on someone bad can threaten the dog. I just would never, I wouldn't do that because I love puppies. <laughs> hmm. I just, I, I think I gave, I, I just thought it would be funny. I was trying to think of funny things for her to do when she like goes bad, and I was like. Because I wanted them to be consistent with the character she already had. So it Uh was, like, of course she would steal puppies because, like, puppies are great. (laughs) And, like, she likes puppies. So that's, like, the thing that evil Mary would do is steal a bunch of puppies. I, like, thought that was such an interesting twist to go towards. Like, what happens when you lose your agency and are really made to be evil? I did not yeah. see that coming, and I thought that was really smart and interesting. And oh, thank you. It continued, like, and you had real repercussions. And asked, like, I I think that Kukuun had the same thing happen to her. Oh yeah, yeah. I heavily implied that. Um, and I, in a way. I think where I was coming from was when I was coming up with that that concept, I was I was pretty miserable at my old job. Like, it, it was nothing that anyone was doing to me. I just was feeling stagnant. Um, I felt like it was making me very, like, bitter and angry as a person. So that, to me, is, like, a metaphor for when you, the thing you're doing is making you so miserable that it, like, takes over and makes you in, into a different person so in a way it was like that's what it kind of stood for for me or at least why I justified doing that when I was writing that part um but also just because it's one of my favorite tropes is when people go bad because it's them like doing the things they always wanted to usually so I thought that would be it's just a fun way to show what the person truly wants also I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had fun with the tropes. Um, Did you ever think about doing, like, there's always that mirror universe joke of the evil person has the goatee. Um, 
did you kind of <laughs> think about playing with that, that at all with it? Because I totally expected to be like, all right, she's going to show up evil with a goatee because Mary Universe. <laughs> yeah, the darkest timeline <laughs> from community. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? I missed, I missed an opportunity there. You know, if I ever make book two, she'll, someone will have an evil goatee. Maybe Mary. Who knows? I really, like, I really need you to make, I know, like, I, I want to encourage people to go and read the book right now as it is, but I just have to say as a fan, I'm really encouraging you to make book two in part because I don't think I can live without knowing whether or not Mannequin is going to, uh, his fate. I, like, legit, I got seriously, I actually cried at I'm going to just tell you that at the very end of the book. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. That makes me so happy. I mean, in a way. Oh, wow. Yeah, 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 That's that cool. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those, like, I feel emotionally exploited by the story, like, kinds of things. I don't like when fiction does that. Like, it definitely, it was, you, you weren't, like, trying to elicit an emotional response just to show that you could, in fact, do that. I just think it was something that was like earned because of the the stakes with the different characters and Yeah, I mean I in fact am surprised that that made you cry because it wasn't my intention there. <laughs> I, I truly wasn't manipulating anyone because I was unaware. <laughs> but I can I I I was a I don't know. I think I I gave I was really interested in kind of where his powers would take him and all that and like kind of what it, what it meant for him. And also, I guess it just gave their whole relationship kind of like a, uh, it, it's like a very difficult like block to overcome <laughs> in a way. Cause well, I won't. Oh, I mean, at, I, I, I mean, at the very end, I don't mean like, I think the, Oh, it's really hard to like talk about uh, about this without trying to give away huge plot points. But um, no, I mean at the very end of the story, not not when the very bad thing happens earlier. I thought that was like really remarkable and a really beautiful metaphor. Um, yeah, no, I just I I, oh, okay. I just need oh, to know. Oh, you mean right at the very end? Yeah, right at the very end. I got it. I got you. Well, well, I mean that actually means a lot to me because this. I think any author would be very happy to hear that, like, their stuff is, especially when it's a comedy, because my comic is mainly yeah. a comedy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, well, thank you. I know. I was surprised. I was surprised. So that's why I'm just like, yeah, I need I need to know. But um, I was actually thinking, like, one of my ideas for, like, a thing to do in the future, maybe be, like, even just a one-issue thing, It'd be interesting to see things from Mannequin's perspective, especially now that he has mm. such a crazy perspective. So I was thinking that'd be <laughs> a fun. I don't know, because I also think, I mean, uh, this isn't really a spoiler because it's more speculation, but in a way he's kind of immortal now. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I thought that was like, I don't know, I kind of, I didn't mean to have more ideas about the plot, but like that gave me some interesting ideas. <laughs> yeah, you know the question of like when you're in, when your consciousness is untethered in the world, like what what does that leave you with, and like how are you? What kind of existence so, can you possibly have? 
I mean, how can you be like connected with the world? Yeah. Have you thought about where everyone might be in a second volume? Like what you might do? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't have any ideas yet for volume two. That's why I, don't, I haven't written it or anything. But uh, <laughs> that's the that's the hard part. <laughs> Coming up with what happens. But I, I mean, I left it off on a note where Mary is seeking redemption, and the other characters have kind of banded together. So I think that's a good idea of like what they are doing after the comic is over. Mhm. Although the world I, definitely is I've taken the note that clearly people want more and <laughs> Yes. We're about to start rallying people, so uh, forgive us. <laughs> Just do a change.org petition. <laughs> Actually, Brett and I would probably use a different plot. Sorry, just kidding. We're like literally the people who own the comics <laughs> podcast that would actually be able to give you an answer about which petition platform to use for this. Because that's, that's kind of what he and I do for a living. So. That's um, what we do. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 We're, 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 I, I think I would probably... Hmm. I might do the petition on, like, a standalone... Or maybe I would just do it on Thunderclap, and everybody would just end up giving you a lot of tweets about how you should make another edition. <laughs> that's what that's what we result with. People sign it by tweeting. Oh, well, thank well, you. you so go, you do the petition. Go and like and tell you what to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> you'd sign the petition, and then you'd go afterwards. You'd then say, "The hey, now that you've signed the petition, you should go tweet this. You should go tell your friend. You should forward this mm-hmm. email." And yeah. <laughs> We, it would be at all of the above on whatever platform we choose to run it. <laughs> well, thanks you so much for joining yeah. us. Um, this has been on our list for a while. Oh, my gosh. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you guys did the Henshaw so deeply, too. I mean, mm. you know, it's it's cool to talk about, like, the nitty-gritty of the comic, too. Excellent. Excellent. So where can folks follow your work on the internet? Well, the best place to go is my uh, Twitter account, which is henchgirl underscore comic. And that's, I generally post everything on there. I'm also on Instagram as henchgirl underscore comic. I'm on Tumblr as kghoul. And also I have a mailing list. I don't I can't say the URL because it's just a Google Doc, but if people want, they can find that on the internet and sign up and find out all the updates about me because sometimes I send out newsletters. Excellent. Well, we 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 can show you how to do an internet short link so that the uh, URL is more easily remembered. Oh yeah, I know. I know how to do that. I just didn't do it yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're already steps ahead by having a, an email list. Many don't. Really? So yes, yeah. step one is done. Mm-hmm. Step step one's done and far ahead of so many. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming out. We really, really appreciate it. And we'll definitely, I can't 
I'm I'm actually really excited to see what you do with graphics and the the next you know the graphic novel that you you put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Have thank you. you. We'll we'll have to have you back to discuss that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. exactly. Of course. <laughs> I'd love to. All right. Have a great night. Okay. Oh, appreciate thank it. Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Yep. Yep, bye. So, Brett, you and I are back on Wednesday next week. We're having two Wednesdays in a row of podcasts. Yes. Yes, we and that's are. Next uh, we will be discussing we're Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which uh, I have movie. already seen, and I'm going to see it again oh. with my wife uh, tomorrow. So I I got I got my press uh, peak yesterday. So I'm already processing fair. everything in my head. I I will uh, I'll, I'll tell you the the tricks. I think I've sent the tricks around. I'll send you the tricks if I haven't sent you directly the tricks. But yeah, it's this is seriously taking like nine years to pull this off. Uh, this know. is seriously nine years of me trying to pull this off. So this is uh, like I I've it's not easy. It's really not easy. So, but now that I'm in, we're good. Uh, but yeah, already seen it. It's uh, it's fun. We'll, we'll just go with that, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to taint anyone's uh, of. Uh, opinions, and I'm very fascinated to hear your opinion uh, you, with you and being a Kirby we'll be fan. And joined by, really, we'll really joined by a guest who I've wanted to have on for a while. Um, filmmaker David Brandon Wilson will be joining us as well. So join yeah, us next this week. Is, it's going to be really fun. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a great episode and uh, 9.30 or 10 o'clock? I don't remember what these. Oh, 10 p.m. Um, okay, cool. Uh, maybe it's nine thirty. We'll check. It'll be not, it'll be a Wednesday. Yes, it's definitely gonna be Wednesday. That that's a definite. So we'll we'll have that on uh, Blog Talk Radio, uh, probably this weekend to get that all set up. So just double check on the time, and that's about it. Uh, as far as other things, um, you if you enjoyed this, if you're into comics, if you want to check out more about Hench Girl or Dark Horse or well, pretty much anything comics-related, just check us out at graphicpolicy.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, uh, YouTube. We're all there. It's all at Graphic Policy. Keeping it really consistent. And what about you, Alana? Where can folks follow you? On Twitter. Especially for tomorrow with May the 4th. Oh, yes. On Twitter all the time. Uh, Ilana underscore Brooklyn. That's where I'm at all the time. And a graphic policy when I'm being good and getting my writing done. <laughs> Truth. Uh, but we get to have fun doing this, and we get to talk to really cool people and discuss things and have fun conversations like this and in, like, depth, like, really interesting conversations like last week's about Secret Empire. So. And then next week we get to uh-huh. discuss movies. All good times. So if you've enjoyed that, you should uh, go and check out this podcast either on iTunes, Stitcher, or on SoundCloud, or Graphic Policy. It's all there. Go listen to back episodes. If you came in late, go listen to this episode. If you've already listened to this episode, share it with friends. Give it likes, like thumbs up, ratings of five, whatever is out there. Uh, go show your support, subscribe, stuff like that. Much appreciated. The, the more support you show, the, the you know, 
the better we do and more other people will find it. So please go do that. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. <laughs> Keep it geeky.